It's hard to get everybody sitting down. Welcome, Westlight, everybody online. I wanted to let you guys know um, we have a special guest here today. Um, Superintendent Keith and his wife Lisa are here in the back. Wave hello. We're so glad you guys are here. It's in two years. They're good friends. <laughs> Don't ever let a pastor come up and say a few words because we'll be here forever. Okay. I mean, I should talk. I know. My sermon is going to be 50 minutes long. I timed it. So I hope you guys are comfortable. I'm just yeah. Because <laughs> it's a competition. I'm going to beat cots and I'm going to make it longer. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, let's pray. Gracious God, we just thank you so much for who you are and for your faithfulness and for your goodness. We thank you that you love us and um, just have our best in mind, not just as, as individuals, but as a community. I pray that you would just help us to see you. It's so hard to see you sometimes, but open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts and help us to, to see you and how you're moving. In your sins, I may pray. Amen. Okay, we, especially in our Western culture, we love to win, right? This is March Madness. This weekend is like the biggest weekend in college basketball. Um, the NBA playoffs are coming up. Um, last week, Will Smith defended his wife by slapping Chris Rock across the face, right? And then Putin, he wants to win Ukraine. <laughs> And so, you know, we love to compare and compete with one another. We want to be right all the time. We don't want to back down. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. We want the last word. And some of us are more competitive than others. But even those of you who aren't competitive, when you're stressed and when you're under attack, you, we will get competitive. We will want to win. And this posture, it has to do with our ego. And by ego, I mean that it's about our self-importance. Not like our self-worth and who God created us to be, but our pride and how we lift up ourselves at the cost of shutting others down, at the cost of not valuing others. And so here's the problem. Our ego, it keeps us from seeing God. Our ego keeps us from seeing God's heart and how he's moving. Our ego is not our amigo. I know it's corny. I know it. I was watching, I was doing Zumba this week and this guy was wearing egos, not our amigo. I'm like, that's my tagline for Sunday. And it's, it's corny, but you guys are going to remember. I guarantee you six months from now, you're going to remember ego is not our amigo, <laughs> but we need to learn to let go of our egos. So let me tell you a story. In 64 AD, there was this great fire in Rome. And the Emperor Nero, he was like, I'm going to use this great fire that like destroyed much of the city. I'm going to use it to kind of shut down the influence, the growing influence of the Christians at the time. And so he arrested, tortured, and executed hundreds of Christians on the grounds that they had something to do with this great fire. And it was during this time that Peter and Paul were martyred. The early church was suffering and they were trying to make sense of what was going on. And so Mark, he wrote his gospel. And he reminds them three times in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Jesus and who, the, who, who he is as the suffering servant. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to start with chapter 8, which is the turning point in Mark's gospel. 
where he takes the story of a blind man, where God heals the blind man and he can see, and he places it next to the story of the disciples who are gaining insight to who God is and what his kingdom is like. And so here we are with our theme, Can You See It? This is how we got the the sermon series title, Can You See It? Because we want to see it. We want to see him and we want to see his perspective. So let's look at 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 the, the passages. So the first time we see it, is in Mark 8, 27 to 30. So I didn't, I didn't really want to make a sermon long. So just pretend, like, go home and read chapter 8, where you see Jesus healing the blind man. And then right next to it is 27 and 30, 8, 27 and 30. On the way, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others the prophets. And so people in Jesus' time, they saw Jesus as, as these, like John the Baptist and Elijah were strong, courageous men who spoke out bravely against evil and injustice. And so Jesus is like, okay, but you are the people closest to me. So he asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And then Peter answered, um, you are the Messiah. And can you imagine Peter? He's like, you're the Messiah. And he's like, I know this answer. And you know, Jesus, I'm going to tell the answer. And Jesus is going to be like, oh, you're so insightful, Peter. I'm so glad I picked you to be on the 12. And what does Jesus say? He's like, he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. He's like, don't tell anybody. He's like, I just gave this great answer, and you don't want us to tell anybody? And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. You see, the disciples, they were gaining insight into who God was, but they were still seeing him as an earthly king and not the divine redeemer that he is. The Messiah announce, a Messiah announcing that God's kingdom would like take over Rome would be a threat to Rome. There have been other Messiahs that claim to be a Messiah, and they were killed. And so, you know, Peter's like, no. He rebukes Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, come here. You're not going to be like them. You are the real Messiah. But then Jesus turned to the disciples in the next verse. And he rebukes Peter sternly, and he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on divine things. You're not setting your, you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. You see, Jesus doesn't think Peter's possessed, but this is the accuser tempting Jesus, just as he did in the, des- in the desert, when he like, tried to feed Jesus' ego. Like, you're going to be great. And I'm, I can imagine that he, that wasn't the only time that the accuser tempted Jesus. But he continued to do it throughout his ministry because evil is moving. It's seeking to destroy what Jesus is creating and building and doing. And so Jesus called the crowd and his disciples. And in verse 34 and 35, he tells them, If you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who want to lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Can you see it? Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you need to let go of your ego. Because ego is not our amigo. 
Okay, got that. Second time. Mark 9, in chapter 9, 31 through 32, he says, On the way through Galilee, Jesus told his disciples, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask. I mean, after that encounter, I'd be afraid to ask too. And I feel for the disciples. I so feel for them because until now, Jesus taught in parables. And then he would tell the parable, then he would go in secret and tell the disciples what the parable really meant. But Jesus was realizing, he's understanding that his suffering and death is coming up quickly. And he knows that he doesn't, his time is limited. And so he's starting to tell them about what's going to happen, like what's literally going to happen. But they're thinking it's a parable. And so they're trying to figure out this hidden message, you know, because if God was going to send a, me a Messiah to come and save them and to have them killed, that would make no sense. So in verse 33 and 34, then they came to Capernaum and he was in the house and he asked them, what were you arguing about? Jesus is asking the disciples, what were you arguing about? But they were silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. You see, in the process of trying to figure out like what Jesus was saying and what is the meaning of this parable, their conversation morphed into an argument about their own status and their own self-importance and who was the greatest. And so in verse 35, he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. You see, the disciples were not seeing Jesus. They were missing him and they were missing what he was doing. And they wanted to win and their ego was blinding them. So let's go to the third time in, in Mark 10, 33 through 35. See, so we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit upon him, flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever you want. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. James and John totally blocked out the part about the pain and suffering. They're like, blah, 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 what? You're going to rise again in glory, what? And they asked to sit in seats of honor. And Jesus goes on to explain, like, you don't know what you're asking and you know what, those seeds of honor, they're not mine to give you. And as they were talking, in verse 41, the 10 heard what they were saying. The 10 heard what James and John asked. And when they heard this, they began to get angry with James and John. And so Jesus called them and said to them, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life a ransom for many. Like, I totally identify with the disciples. If they did that, I would be so mad too. Because no one ever thinks, ooh, I want to grow up and be a servant and a slave, right? We want to be with the one who's going to win, who's, who's the one who's like going to take control and have the power. But letting go of our ego is what's necessary. That's what God is inviting us to do. Ego is not our amigo. And even Jesus had to learn this. When I was in seminary, my theology professor, Ray Anderson, he said that Jesus had to learn this. When he was 12 years old, right, his whole family, they went to Jerusalem to go to Passover. And when the festival was over, um, they all left. And Mary and Joseph left, and they were like walking the whole day, and they're like, wait, where's Jesus? I thought Jesus was over there. I was like, and then they're like, oh, Jesus isn't with us. And so they had to go all the way back to Jerusalem. And they looked for him for three days. And where was Jesus? He was in the temple. And, you know, Ray Anderson would say Mary was not happy with that. She was not impressed. The, the, the teachers were like, oh, you know, Jesus was asking questions. He was learning. And the teachers were just amazed at his understanding. But Mary was like, what are you doing? Like, you were supposed to come home with us. Like, Mary was not so impressed with, like, his amazing understanding. She was, she was more concerned about his obedience and, like, his, un, his, like, disregard for how the community would feel. Having to come all the way back, having feeling like they lost the Son of God for three days. And then Ray Anderson said, you know, he didn't, Jesus didn't, like, start his ministry until he was 30. Like, what happened in those 18 years? Like, did Jesus have to learn to let go of his ego in those 18 years? Because when he was tempted in the desert, right, by the accuser, the accuser was tempting him. He gave three temptations that was totally feeding his ego. You're going to be popular. People are going to love you. They're going to see your power. Don't you want to be this kind of king? But Jesus was able to say no. Even after, it's like, fasting for 40 days because he had learned to let go of his ego. Peter learned to let go of his ego because we know he, he was martyred in 64 AD. It's a process. And we at Westlight, we, we know what it's like to see evil working in our world. We know what it's like when one man uses his power to feed his own ego to cause innocent people, even children, to lose their homes, their livelihood, their communities, their family members, their, even their own lives. We feel the pain of the evil. We feel it in our bodies. We feel it. It makes us sick to our stomachs. It hurts our heart. And our, our temptation will be to react with our ego. But Mark reminds us, Jesus reminds us that we need to engage in the process of letting our ego go. And we need to do it with him and with one another. And it's going to take time. And it's not going to be easy. And it's, we're not going to do it perfectly. But awareness is the big and brave step that we can take. And so I have three questions. Where do we have to be right all the time. Maybe in at work, maybe in our relationships with our spouse or our kids or our friends. Where do we have to be right all the time? Where do we see people as the problem? And where do we compare and compete with others? 
We need God and one another to help us in this process of, of letting go of our ego because it's blinding us and it's keeping us from seeing who Jesus is. We're missing him. It's keeping us from seeing how he's moving. And so to help us do that, I invited um, Pastor Stan and maybe the worship team can come forward and to lead us in a practice that we can learn and practice and do um, in our own free time at, our, at home and where we can, it will help us engage in the process of learning to let go. Thank you, Pastor Lori. Uh, I call this practice the messy minute. And the messy minute is where we do what uh, Pastor Lori invited us to do, to look at the mess, whatever that mess is. Uh, it can be, uh, well, it always usually involves, as she said, our ego, which is an I, right? And the way the world tells us to deal with messes, uh, especially gory messes, is to just live, it, live through it, right? And so we, we try to make living through it, through our own efforts, the way that we handle the gory thing. And what Jesus, is, as Pastor Lori invited us to remember, is that to live an I life is not the way that God calls us. It's actually to live in love. So to take the I out of living and make it an O of loving. And so in this messy minute, what I would invite you to do is find the mess, the gory place, and then also find where Jesus is and he, where he invites you to now live, but live in love, not through your own efforts. And what you're gonna find is by living in love that the L in that is moved into the G-O-R-Y and it becomes glory. Because when you live with Jesus, he brings you a glory that if you just tried to live by yourself, you would never achieve. And that's the lie of the enemy, that's the lie that he's told the world, is somehow we can just live and we can change our glory into glory. But the only way you change glory, our glory into glory, is through Jesus and his love. So what I would invite you to do is get comfortable and uh, consider those questions that Pastor Lori gave. Uh, but maybe there's something inside of you that's even more gory. And it's, maybe it's, it has to do with facing who you are and, the, and having to, to face the fact that you need to now surrender that. And I'm not asking you to do it right now, but I'm asking you to, to, to just recognize it. And I'm also asking you to realize something else in that minute. And you can continue to do this, like Pastor Lori said on your own, is to realize that God is right there for you. And he's not pushing you, he's just inviting you. So I'm gonna 
set this for one minute. And so just take this time to, to uh, go through, be with God and be with yourself and listen to both. Okay. Father, thank you that you can give us the courage to look at ourselves as we truly are. And we don't have to, to look outside and, and try to justify by comparison, by uh, just uh, all those other things that, that we can buy into as ways to, to help us not deal with our own gory places, that you desire us to look at those places, not to condemn us, not to make us feel guilty, but that you invite us to be able to see a transformation, a glory, and to see your glory in those places. So Father, I ask that we know that this is not a struggle on our own, but as Pastor Lori mentioned, that you are with us and that you have called us to be in community with one another and to know that we aren't competing against one another. We're actually involved in empowering and helping one another to be able to face and become who you made us to be. So I thank you, Lord Jesus, that as Pastor Laura mentioned, you were the ultimate example of that, that you did not regard something of your status to be held over people, but you used that, gave it up in order to empower others. So we give you praise and thanks for that. And in your name we pray.